busca de un mejor destino para ti lo que viniera de ti tu pueblo, tu pueblo no conoció tu entrega y oportunistas se robaron tu Welcome everyone to the second episode of the Inside the Journey podcast. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And we are working on the documentary film Identifying Nelson, Buscando a Roberto. This week we wanted to talk about uh, some of the things that's been happening in the film. We realize that a lot of people uh, haven't been keeping track of what's going on. I, I think we've been trying to communicate everything through the Kickstarter updates, but I know that uh, people don't always get to read them and they're busy. And so we have four kind of major milestones that we'll be talking about. And they're the Kickstarter project, uh, our, our week in El Salvador, then filming in LA when Chicago is the fourth kind of milestone that we'll be talking about today. All right, so All right, there we go. Yeah, so our Kickstarter project uh, took place. It started September fourteenth, two thousand ten. Yep, uh, yeah. and that was just after a couple of years of just. I think a couple of years. No, no, a year, I, you, more you know, than I would, a year. Well, I was thinking about this. I I think it happened pretty quickly. You, we actually reconnected in in two thousand and eight. So, but you you reached out to me about the blog and everything in in like April or May of 2010, and so it was pretty much just the summer where we were thinking about doing this, and then in the fall we kind of took the leap. The, we launched it on the 140 conference in Boston where I was speaking. How about Excited. for the uninitiated? What is the 140 conference? Oh, that's a great point. Um, the 140, <laughs> yeah. You're right. See, I think that's why we're we're trying to do this today is just to give people kind of a background of, of everything that yeah, we've been I think through. for people who at some point find our project and uh, and are interested in one way or another, this is the overview of uh, where we are up to the point in time when we publish this. So the 140 conference is a it, it's just a small conference that this guy Jeff Pulver does, which are a mix of technology and social media, but it's not just your standard social media conference where you're just talking about this is the latest trend on Twitter or this is the latest social network. It's kind of about the human element of that and what it means to people. And so I went on to speak to tell my family story, but also talk about the ways that I was trying to use technology to get the story out of there. One of them was the blog, Anna's Miracle. And then the other one was the Kickstarter project, which we had just started. It was interesting. You just told me the other day um, that that was really the first time that you had in a big public forum shared your story that way. And I, I remember, I mean, I knew your story and we talked about it a lot, um, but just feeling like it was really moving to experience it in that way because you were honest and, and it was hard to get out. Yeah. So the, the Kickstarter campaign, um, okay. I, I think we, uh, we really didn't know what we were doing when we started it. Uh, we tried to do things that we thought would be fun, but we didn't really know what it would be like to run a campaign. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know, sort of, I guess, how difficult it would be to um, 
create these rewards and get them out and like all the little things that go into putting together a campaign like this. So you flew out to LA and we made a, we filmed with a friend of mine, David Robertson um, was kind enough to shoot. And my friend Clay was kind enough to donate some gear where we shot an interview with you and you told your story in front of the camera. And, and then we had to roll out a campaign around that video and these rewards um, and yeah, I think we, we thought, oh, there's this new crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter, and everybody's just going to flock to it because it's such a different story and, and you told it in a very honest way and we didn't find that at all. <laughs> Any, anybody that was going to come to, 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 uh, support the project, we had to bring to it. it. You know, I think we had like four people that just found it out of 170 without disparaging anyone <laughs> the we got we had somebody we thought was just going to fund all of our efforts um and it seemed like that was a done deal um and it was a, an old friend um and and so I think we focused on that during the campaign and it detracted from the campaign and then that didn't yeah. happen um yeah and so with you know then we're a week before our deadline or, or somewhere around or 10 days before our deadline or something. And we needed to make up more than half the money. So, yeah. So that, I mean, that was, I know for me, it was one of the low points of, of just sitting there a week before the campaign is going to end. And we had $9,000 to make up in seven days. And so we were left kind of high and dry wondering what was going to happen. And it was just, you know, just this really kind of low period, at least for me it was. And then we got a big backer that Friday night. And what blew my mind is in the next six days, we made up that $9,000. Mm-hmm. And it was just incredible the way it spread through the different groups of my friends and my high school friends were posting it, and then camp friends were posting it, college friends, and, and just the way that people rallied. And one of the things that I realized was how powerful that deadline was to get people motivated and and also how powerful that platform is just so that people could take us seriously. You know, I think if we went to the same group of people and we said, hey, give us $25 and send it to our PayPal, you know, no one would have taken us seriously. But mm-hmm. putting it in that form and spending the time to create the video and tell the story and, and just think about what we were going to do. I think helped people see that we were serious about this. We get the $15,000. We hit the goal and which was incredibly exciting. And then I think like during December, we, we bought a computer, we bought the camera, we kind of bought the equipment and then we were kind of sitting around trying to figure out how do we start telling the story? Because we were trying to find an in, you know, it wasn't clear that there was a good, starting place for the film and that is when i think it was in january of 2011 that we got an email or i got an email inviting me to something called the day that disappeared which was taking place in el salvador on the 29th and i think we'll we'll talk about the significance of march yeah sorry We'll, we'll talk about the significance of that day a little bit later but um 
the important thing is that we were being invited to El Salvador and the president of the country, the president of El Salvador, was having a breakfast with the other disappeared. So you and I both felt like this was a good starting place. If you're doing something on a subject and there's a convention about that subject, well, then all the people that have to do with it will be there, you know. And there's and uh, in this instance, you're going to have maybe 50 or 60 other disappeared children and the president of the country and people involved in the aid agencies and and there's actually stakes around it. There's something important happening. So that was like, okay, you know, if, here's a great place to um, allocate our resources and get started, you know. Um, so that's – we. That's that was the start, right? The next milestone, I guess, is our ten days in El Salvador, mm-hmm. and it was a breakneck so, speed. <laughs> it was. It was a lot of work. It was a very tiring week, but yeah. you know, very rewarding as well. I guess we'll we'll just talk about you know kind of the main things that happened during that week. Okay, and then what was meaningful to us because there's so much that happened during that, that week that, you know, you don't even get to see in the film. Um, well, one of the things actually we, you do get to see in, in the opening bit is this meeting that I had with my family on, I think it was the first day. Yeah, it was the first day. We got in the night before both of us. And so this was the first morning, right? Or first, first, first afternoon, first afternoon, we had been to Probuscat at first. Yeah. We got all of my aunts and, and all of your mother's members. sisters, all, all like my mother's sisters, seven of seven, six right? of them, I think six yeah. and one is in Costa Rica. Yep. Okay. And all of their, uh, all my cousins and basically my mother's side of the family, we got them. The Escobars. She, Right, the Escobars to the uh, to my aunt Delila's house, and we sat them down and, and we, we showed Chinese them. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. <laughs> I, I love that. When I went to El Salvador. My first big meal was Chinese food. <laughs> John was hoping for a pupusa. So, <laughs> so we 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 sat everyone down and we showed them the the Kickstarter video, and we interviewed. Um, not really interviewed them, but everyone was sitting around the room and we asked, you know, what did we think about it? And in my broken Spanish, I tried to say, you know, this isn't just my story. This is your story. So what is important to you? And we got some great footage of my aunt Delila talking about the importance that my grandmother, Mama Chila, had in the whole story. And I mean, we could do a whole episode on her, but <laughs> we... You know, and one of my cousins was saying how important it was. Uh, my cousin Diana was saying how important it was to the younger generation to know that this happened and to be thinking about it. And um, it was and well, and they they very much the message they delivered was was that because the Kickstarter video is is um, telling things from your perspective as an American what it was like to be discovered at. 17 years old and have, have your life really turned on its head. Right. Um, and I think that was really striking to them, um, because their experience was so different. Their experience was that their, this matriarch, your, your grandmother, Mama Chila led this really heroic decades long search. I mean, 14 or 15 years looking for you and, and, 
um, and they wanted to make sure that that was front and center in anything we did. And then that we understood it and our audience understood it, you know, and, and I think that was, it was great to hear. And it was striking to hear cause it, well, it's their perspective. It was their take. It was you their know, the experience, thing. you know? So that was the conversation that we had with them. And, you know, one of the things that we see in that opening scene is me saying, you know, there was something that I want to tell them that I couldn't tell them. That was very emotionally hard for me to say to them in front of the group at that moment. And then what I love about the the way that we've put together the film so far is that we come back to that. And by the end of the week in El Salvador, Mm -hmm. I sort of answer that question and I get to say to them what it is. And I'm Mm -hmm. not going to spoil it for anyone, but... (laughs) You know, you have to see the film. But mm-hmm. um, I, I really loved that kind of story arc and that this question that gets opened in the beginning gets resolved at the very end. That was the beginning of the trip. Yeah. Then the next day was... I think the next morning um, was a, a press conference where basically the Probusqueda, the aid organization that found you, was... Um, and had been responsible up until this year for hosting this day. Um, it, it started in 2007, um, and again, we'll talk more about it later, but, but they had been the ones who kept the vigil until this year where the president was recognizing it, and um, they had a whole bunch of events throughout the week. Some we got to go to, some we were with your family, but they went to music conferences and they had readings of essays by school kids and um and they also had a small press conference where you each of you just sort of said who you were and what 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 you wanted out of the experience so we went to that i think then the next day was the actual day of the disappeared so we go in and we have a breakfast with the president of El Salvador and his wife. And uh, the president went around the room meeting everyone and we shook hands. And then there's this one point where I'm with my aunt and we go up and we get to meet with the president, you know, have a one-on-one. And I was like racking my brains. What am I going to say to this guy? And what's the Spanish for it? And like, what can I get? And just as I go to speak, my aunt kind of jumped in (laughs) she took her chance right right she took her chance and 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 i remember sort of being relieved because i was like well you know if anyone deserves to say something in this interaction it's probably her because you know it's probably a lot more meaningful to her i thought one of the great moments too is something you caught on film on your camera which is um what a contrast it it was how warm and this was really intimate really you know it was gathering of 60 70 people um with the president and you get right up to him i mean i've got four or five feet away and you probably hugged both of them several times um and afterwards uh the first lady vonda pignato went around um, giving chocolates to the, all the little kids that were there, the people's children. And it was just this visually striking contrast to you're there because as children you were violently taken away. Um, and here, here is the president acknowledging you and, and being so sweet with the children, you know, 
your your group's children. And you got this great picture where she goes to uh, give a kiss to a little girl who's in the seat next to you, and you're like, you know, 15 inches from her face, and you just got this magazine shot picture of, of that exchange, which maybe we can include um, in the yeah in the show notes. It was really it's just to me it encapsulated the breakfast. Yeah. So after the breakfast, they load us back into the buses and they drive us to another location where they were holding a, a public event, which consisted of a press, uh, I guess, a, a speech by the president. And, and most of the people there were school children, like they had emptied out San Salvador schools. I mean, it's not an exaggeration. I don't, I'm not good at judging numbers, but it felt like there were at least 10,000 children there to me. It was a big amphitheater. It was it was quite something to walk. All the children were there before we got there, so it was quite. Um, you know, I, I actually had no idea any of that was taking place. Maybe I hadn't been <laughs> listening to what to what they were telling us. But you know, you, you get to this amphitheater and you're walking down, you know, twenty flights of stairs, and there are all these children, you know, screaming. Like it was a little like a a majorly big version of like a high school pep rally. I mean, it was just, it was, they were there and, and the, the event was well staged for this, for these kids to learn something and then have a good time around it, you know, like to celebrate really. And the, and they were celebrating you guys who for the first time were being acknowledged. And yet you wondered like beyond the people there, what type of awareness there would be. You know, um, of course it was all, there was, there were like a hundred journalists there. I mean, you, we have a picture of all the cameras, you know, and I'm sure there was in a lot of the local press and I did see it in some international press, but all of the, the story about the disappeared children is to me such a compelling story. And yet, um, the spotlight gets focused on it briefly every year around these events and then it goes away again, you know? So, uh, well, I guess we can move on then. And, and the following that day, we had two interviews lined up. We had an interview with Esther, who is the head of Pro B, Pro mm-hmm. Busqueda. And we had an interview with my uncle Mariano. Esther, like most, most of the people I think who work at Pro B um, were directly affected by the war, either by losing family members um, in death or in disappearance. And she, one of the, to me, one of the really moving parts about her interview was that she identified as uh, a survivor of the Rio Sumpul massacre, um, in a fairly graphic way. And I I think she was a teenager, maybe she was like 14 at the time and she lost family members in this, in this massacre early in the war, um, where people were basically pushed up into a river valley up against the the banks of some cliffs and slaughtered in large numbers. Um, And these were just innocent people living in the countryside that were trying to flee to safety. And uh, it was, it's still to this day is recognized as one of the bigger events of the war. And, And so she had experienced that. And I think used that, that, that experience had moved her to want to, do the type of work she was doing now. So 
And then after that was an interview with my uncle Mariano, which was meaningful to me because he talked about how he had been tortured in the war and how they had let him go and very few people get out of that kind of thing in the war. I mean, this was the place that I think you spent your last night in El Salvador um, and you spent a lot of your time in hiding. You were in hiding with your mother um, before you left. And it, to me, this, this was just a really neat thing to get to film an interview of you interviewing your uncle um, in the house where you lived. You know, it was just sort of this circle, completing a circle. And, and uh, I, I just I got to snap a picture that we've included in some thank you postcards and uh, I'll always remember that. It was neat. So day five was an interview with Oscar Luna, who um, was, I guess, he's the chief prosecutor for human rights violations in El Salvador, if I remember that correctly. He's a um, pretty big legal authority in El Salvador, and he has a lot to do with the commission that's supposed to take over some of the work from Probusca to help in reunions. Yeah, which has been fairly successful. I think they've had a couple of cases now of reuniting the, people. In the past so year that, or two. And and we were really, um, I was hard on him. Not, not confrontational, but I really kind of asked him some difficult questions about what he could possibly do given the fact that so many crimes in El Salvador go unpunished and, and there's such a difficulty in actually prosecuting. But at the end of the war, there, part of the treaty that was signed was that there would not be any prosecutions for things that happened in the war. And so that's... That makes, that makes his job that much harder because he's trying to not only resolve these cases, but make sure that people come to justice in one form or another. And, yeah, and I guess I feel like it's important to explain because it's, as when I first came to this, it's hard for me to understand how the hell are there open cases 30 years later that, I mean, uh, how are they still finding people? You know, like that's just unbelievable to if, if you don't understand the full context. And then the... I think the the next day we went to visit Suyapa. Suyapa Serrano. Suyapa Serrano, who who is a historically significant figure, I guess. And it is because of her and her family and this case that there is a Day of the Disappeared to begin with. And another reason that this particular uh, event in, in March of 2011 was important is because it was the first time that the government publicly acknowledged this this day. And many of the government's administrations before that had denied it denied this day or denied what had happened. And she had been on stage in the day that disappeared her and yeah. her brother with the president and his wife. I mean she was if there were four people on stage, her and her brother were two of them. And uh yeah. Like she's very, she was recognized as important, and and she has made a tremendous contribution. I think if to relate it to an American audience, she's like a a, a big civil rights figure from the '60s. Um, you know, she's lost a lot and and pushed forward through a lot of 
adversity. She lost her two sisters in the war and is still looking for them and is looking for them 30 years later and um, helped make meaningful change. Yeah. So we went to interview her and we're going out into the rural countryside of El Salvador. And there are, you know, as we're setting up the camera, there are chickens walking around, you know, and one of the things we had to do while we're interviewing her is, is I think Alex or someone went on, on chicken patrol and like had to <laughs> shoot the chickens out of the way because yeah. they were making all this noise. Yeah. Like two yeah. days prior, she was on stage with the president and then, um, you know, her normal life is, is she didn't have indoor plumbing, you know, um, yeah. this woman who's made this big difference lived in, um, the problem they call states departments, right? The department of Chalatenango where a lot of the big fighting in the war went on and, uh, she lives, uh, still lives a humble lifestyle, proud, yeah, humble lifestyle. And interviewing her, one of, one of the things I asked her towards the end was, what do you want to say to your siblings? And, and I think that was a very meaningful exchange for her. Cause she sort of said, you know, we're all sort of dying in the, you know, kind of larger than life sense. Uh, but we're all kind of, we're all dying and I may not have a chance to meet my brothers and sisters. And I'm hoping that they maybe one day will see this film and know that I love and care about them. And, you know, that that was very, I don't know, touching to see from her to, you know, that she does think about them. And you, one of the things that I, I've learned is that they never, you know, your, your family down there never really forgets about you. They always think about you. And to have her be able to articulate that on film, I think, was very moving. It was, it was amazing. It felt like it was yesterday, the way she told that story. And I'm sure, like, I mean, they're just, it it felt so current. And uh, it happened in, in what, 19, somewhere in the early 80s. And it felt like it was yesterday to her. And then the final day in El Salvador was at the memory wall, which was um, very... I don't know. It it was a difficult day for me, I guess. It's a kind of like the Vietnam Memorial Wall in in D.C. It is this granite wall that's in a park in El Salvador, and they have about 30,000 names of people who were died or disappeared during the war, and my mother's name is on there. And I believe it was created in 2007, if I'm not mistaken, that the whole wall was created mm-hmm. in 2007. And so it's, you know, you, you go there and it's this wall of all these names and it, it makes it very real. You know, I think something like 70,000 or more people died or disappeared during that particular war. And this is only a, a smaller subset. But to see all the names, you know, is, is, is very powerful. Yeah, I always wonder why. Why is it thirty thousand? Because the figures that are always given are seventy to eighty. So I, it feels like I, I don't know the exact history of that wall, but it's it's somewhat recent. They probably had to fight hard to get it, and it's a work. Uh, it was beautiful, but um, it it it's incomplete in terms of the record, you know. Yeah, and then at the very end of the wall, there's one of these. You know, 
or maybe half of a panel because these panels go uh, from the floor to ceiling maybe eight, eight, nine feet high. And it's just filled with names. And then half of one panel at the very end has the names of people who have been reunited. And I'm on there. And so, you know, it's it's a little weird to be memorialized. I don't know if that's the right word, but to be have your name carved in stone in connection with this. So I, I'm represented in this this thing that is part of the country. And yet I've only been to the country three times and I feel disconnected to it mm-hmm. in some ways. You know, I, I think that's changed as, as the film's gone on. Probably goes back and forth for you, no? Like sometimes, if, I, I don't know, when uh, what happened to you is, is hard to understand from an American perspective, maybe, maybe uh, if I'm generalizing. Yeah. And uh, so sometimes it probably feels surreal. And then at other times, maybe it really hits home because, you know, you connect with it and, and waves of it, you're presented with different waves of it. And yeah, I, don't, I, I, don't I think that's a great, no, that that's a good observation because it is very hard to understand as an American. And yet your family is very, or my family is very much involved in it. So it, it well, reminds and, me. Well, you don't remember it. Like, right. You're very much involved in it too. You know, I mean, yeah. you, but, who but I don't remember what happened when they were one and two years old, but right. But at yeah. the same time, I'm sure it has affected you, you know? Yeah. The, the other thing that, that kind of happened there that was interesting or that, that was meaningful was there was this group of Salvadorans and they were there mourning the death of people that died in the war. In fact, died in Zacamil, where you were in hiding. Right. We found and, we found out. Yeah. So that, I guess I say it better in the film because we've had time to kind of like go over it. But Plus it's edited. It, yeah. <laughs> so, right. So it's edited. So it's very clear. But I, you know, before that point, I hadn't felt very connected to the country as a whole. But I think just going there and, you know, sort of being in mourning and mourning my loss and then seeing these other people who are also mourning their families, you know, you you feel connected to them. You're like, okay, you know, we – I don't know them, but we both lost something in this war. Mm -hmm. And and in that way, I felt a lot more connected to, to everything there. So that was that's pretty much our week in El Salvador. We had a couple other interviews and and things. Uh, you know, we don't want to tell you everything because they're saving stuff for the uh, for the film and maybe the DVD extras there. But, I, um, I got to drink out of a coconut at Costa del Sol. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. <laughs> a little something different. Yeah. Um, so. John, do you want to do this in, in two parts? I know we're trying to keep these episodes down to 30 minutes. Yeah, so I, th- could... I, I was thinking that midway through. Um, yeah. Next week, we will talk about uh, the second half of our making the film, which will be about the fall of 2011, where I was back in L.A., and I got to meet former members of the FPL, which is the the guerrilla, part of the guerrilla group that my parents fought in, and then 
our trip to Chicago in May of 2012, mm -hmm. where we did a human rights lecture for the family of someone who was intimately involved with reuniting me with, with uh, my birth family. Yeah. And that was very powerful to be able to share our film with his family and remind them of, of his legacy. Yeah. So that is our show for now. Uh, as always, you can subscribe to the podcast by going to identifyingnelson.com. We would love to hear your feedback. You can join us on Facebook slash Identifying Nelson. If you have something a little more personal to say, you can email John and I at podcast at identifyingnelson.com. And if you enjoy the show, please be sure to pass it on to anyone that you think would enjoy it. Tune in next week, and we'll be talking more about our film and what's to come. Thanks for listening. See you. Click. <laughs> Libertad, libertad, para cantar a los vientos.